Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello everyone, this is Talking Tourism and I'm today's host Rachel Williams and today we're going to be talking about one of my favourite ever topics. Now every fortnight the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania brings you conversations with the brightest minds in the tourism industry and each episode of Talking Tourism deals with a specific tourism related topic with tips and advice for improving your tourism business and getting ahead in the visitor economy. Now today we are very excited to be joined by the Beautiful Curly Haslam Coates, who is a wine educator and chief shenanigator. Is that how I say it? It is how you Sh- say it, yes. Yeah, shenanigator. Welcome, Curly. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, that, of course, the shenanigans are for vintage Tasmania. They are indeed. I wear many hats. You do. Yes. And you wear them so well. And we're going to have a great chat today about all the things I love, as I said wine, spirits, food, tourism. And education. I was never so good at the education part, <laughs> but I'm sure we can. you can guide me in the right direction. That's the go, learning through play. <laughs> you have been in Tasmania for nine years only, but you've made an impact in that nine years. And one of your favourite things is to brag about how great Tasmania is. So we love you being a Tasmanian. Absolutely. I love it. It is it is just an absolute joy getting to tell everybody and, yeah, pretty much everybody around the world as well um, about how great Tasmania is. Because you do love to talk, don't we? Oh, yes. yes. I am a fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I am disappointed, though. We are going to have this conversation without wine in hand, which is a bit disappointing, actually. I'm disappointed in myself. Yes. I am. It's a note for another time. Must do better. Bring wine next time. Bring wine for the uh, questioner next exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you've had 24 years of working with food, wines, and spirits. What's changed predominantly over those 24 years? Um, quite a lot, I think. Um, I've been really lucky that I always try and work sort of um, terribly snobby, but you know, the better end of quality. Um, but just, I love delicious things, so I really, really enjoy that. So I've had that, but I think. For me, really, the the big difference has been just really understanding seasonality. And a lot of that has come from living in Tasmania. So when I was in Yorkshire, I was very fortunate that I was sort of more countryside sort of Yorkshire. So where I used to work, we used to have to do our own wine deliveries. And so I used to take the route that would go past a really good farm shop. And we had a butcher next door as well. So that was perfect, um, you know, for shopping locally. But that seasonality, I just... It's just sort of become a really natural way of life for me now. And it's so amazing in Tasmania how different and spectacular our seasons are. They're just so obvious, aren't they? They are. And I really enjoy that. I love, you know, as it gets sort of to the end of one season, I love sort of the joy of what's coming next. So coming to spring, asparagus is absolute huge favourite. And then summer, cherries, 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 and, <laughs> and also cherry tomatoes. Cherry tomatoes. So you've, um, since moving here, you've worked with Cellar Doors. You've obviously run the award-winning uh, Launceston Harvest Market as well. Um, you established the Wine and Spirit Education Trust qualifications, which offer Tasmanians the opportunity to undertake globally recognised professional qualifications. Yes. Why did you decide to move to Tasmania? 
it's the WSET's fault. So the Wine is for Education Trust, it's their fault. I actually won an award for my wine exams. So that's my brief moment of academic glory. I won the Vintners Bursary and the prize was a study trip of my choice. So um, there was a check and I had to decide where to go, write a letter to the Vintners saying this is what I want to do and to learn and to study. And they release a check that covered part of my... Um, part of my trip. It was amazing. And it just happened to be a box of Andrew Peary's wine on the bottom of the palette I was unloading that made me go, oh, mm, I had not thought of that. And so here you are. Mm -hmm. Five days in Tasmania. That's all it took. Really? Yes. And what is it about Tasmania and I suppose more importantly, Tasmanians and the products that they create that is so special? I think it's partly the uniqueness, partly the deliciousness and partly the friendliness. So it's that combination of all three. It's, um, it's you know, I like to brag because I love that passion and excitement that comes from the people who make all the goodness. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's olive oil or whether it's really great butter, whether it's meat, whether it's wine, whether it's whiskey, whether it's cider or beer, there's that same just real passion for what they're doing. You don't have to go very far, do you, to find some good quality produce here? No, it's not hard. And that's something else that's really important to me is the availability needs to be there widely of Tasmanian produce. As in to be able to buy it wherever you are? Absolutely. Yep. In Tasmania, um, because it's such an interesting thing in a global, you know, we're sort of very global these days. We're very connected through technology. But the real delight of going somewhere different is to be able to eat and drink and try and experience things that you can't do at home. And so to come here and not have access to local food and drink and wine is criminal to me. It just it makes absolutely no sense. And we should be just so proud of what's what's here because it is that good. So obviously the Tasmanian uh, market for a lot of our products is that more boutique, um, ex- expensive end of the market. That's something that not everyone can afford, but you're saying that really you need to have options wherever you are, whichever business you run, that there needs to be a range of Tasmanian produce on your menu. I would have thought that was a, a no-brainer. It is, but it's amazing still some of the places that, you know, I'll go in somewhere, all the wines from South Australia. Really? In Tasmania, that still happens? It still happens, yeah. Um, you know, doesn't have the local produce. We should name and shame and these operators, but we won't. Oh, look, I'm not quite won't. there yet, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think a stern glance. Yes. Um, and, you know, not quite Greta stern glance. Um, I've got to work my way up to that. Yes. I thought, honestly, I thought I had a good death stare. That girl has skills. She does. Such great skills. She does. But yeah, it's um it's something that does frustrate me because also the flip side of things is yes, we do do luxury incredibly well, but we also do spuds and apples and onions and garlic and you know, everyday mints. Just even the simplicity of local mints is so much better. And it's not sort of grey and watery when you cook it down and you know, those sorts of things that even if you are on a budget or you don't want to be sort of working at the real luxury end of the market, you actually don't have to and you can still be Tasmanian. What's the biggest thing you learnt while you were managing and operating the harvest market? Because there's so many different people out there producing amazing things. What are some of the things that you learnt during that journey? Um, you know what, one of the funniest things is everybody wants to be in the market. <laughs> Which is a luxury, but also um, it's that lovely sort of 
time when people surprise you. So when we had, you know, the gelato folks, Della Valle gelato, I remember when they first came to us saying, oh, we want to do gelato. And so we said, well, look, you know, it's got to be Tasmanian. You know, there'll be no banana and pineapple ice cream and that's that's sort of stuff. We can't do that. This is about, it's a farm's market, so it's using... Asparagus. (laughs) No, but they have used wasabi. Right. And that's what I love about them is they just went away. And so if you think about the colder months or even now coming into spring, you know, we're not into full summer just yet at time of recording... And they've they've really been sort of very clever and very thoughtful about the ingredients, about what's available, um, about preserving things as well. So maybe freezing some berries so that they can do bits and pieces. But they work with the honey producers at the market, the hazelnut producers. Um, when we had a market for World Cider Day, I got a phone call saying, "Who's going to be which, which cider producer is going to be at the market?" I told them, and then by you know sort of forty eight hours later, I got a message saying there'll be a sparkling cider sorbetto. That sounds absolutely divine. Isn't that awesome? Using the cider from the cider producer that's going to be there at the weekend, so that they could offer something a little bit different. And it's that. And was it good? Oh gosh, delicious! <laughs> and I get so excited when it's fajoa season as well, because their fajoa sorbetto is incredible. So if you've ever spent some time in New Zealand, fajoas are little green fruits that are incredibly pungent. And are they grown in Tasmania? I'm yes. showing my. Yeah, yeah. Um, my friend had a tree in her backyard in Newstead. So yes, they do grow really well right. here and as well. And what do they taste like? The missing link between um, fruit and industrial solvent, because if it's not right, it's almost like a chemically rubbery, if it's not ripe. Not really selling it very well, Curly. But when it's ripe and they're beautifully, you know, sort of fresh and delicious, the perfume's incredible on them. It's... um. Almost a little bit lychee in the intensity of the perfume and that mixture of fruity and floral. And so it's really light and fresh and very perfumed. So um, you can see how delicious it is as a sorbetto. I'm going to have to seek it out. I've I've not had that So late late summer, early autumn, keep your eye out for Joa. Right, there you go. It could be Tasmania's next (laughs) big market. Um, Because the whole paddock-to-plate phenomenon in Tasmania has grown exponentially over the last decade and that farmer's market, harvest market, really is a great um, venue, isn't it, to be able to showcase that. And it's that seasonality as well. And, you know, from running the harvest market, I still now, nearly two years later, come Friday, I don't have any food left in my house because I'm so, you know, sort of it, it became so conscious what I would buy each week and what was in season and having a think about what I would use. But, you know, sort of Friday evening tea is often a little bit weird in my house because it's just using up last bits and pieces ready for Saturday morning shop. And it's it's one of those things that I love as well that sometimes, like the fish guy, he'd be like, oh, we haven't got much today because, you know, big storms, boat couldn't go out. I love that. You know, that's how fresh it is. Yes. It wasn't just sort of stacked away for the last couple of weeks it's so fresh the veg was in the ground halfway through the week and it's you know you it, it sounds like such a cliche but you can taste the difference and when things are in season they're such good value as well and how important is it for us to support those agricultural operators to ensure that they do continue to thrive essential we are a big rural community 
you know, Tasmania is, we, you know, particularly up north as well, there's a lot of growing goes on in the north and the northwest. And that's what allows people to build an extension of their business, to hire somebody else, to be able to, I don't know, create a new product that goes into market. Having that sort of financial support also keeps people in rural areas. So, you know, people get to stay on their farms and stay on their land. We've got a great generation at the moment who are often they are sort of sixth, seventh generation who have diversified their farming. So people like the guys at Milton, Gala, so some of the wineries on the East Coast, um, the Oyster and Bangor Oyster Vineyard Shed, they all still have thriving farms, but they've had a d- diversification where they now grow grapes, they now have a cellar door, a couple of them have got little restaurants as well. And, you know, speaking of sheep, down south, sheep weigh vodka. Who knew that was a it's thing? It's a world phenomenon, isn't it? It's exactly. And, you know, and that's, again, that sustainability of having a waste product from making sheep cheese for Grandview and then that liquid was turned into a, you know, former Utah student into a really unique and delicious product that has got international recognition from basically the minute it got released and was tasted. I think all of the... Um really positive stories around, you know, vineyards and those sorts of value adding in the drinking sphere. They yes. do it really well, don't they? Yeah. What advice would you give to some of these other agriculture operators who are amazing, who do great things? It must be hard for them to try and expand into the tourism market a bit when they're, they're focused and they've only got the finances and the capacity to just produce their quality food that they're producing. Absolutely. And that's where I see the, you know, I'm so passionate about having the accessibility of Tasmanian products in shops, in restaurants, in cafes, in, you know, in all of those places, whether it's um, the little corner shop, right through to some of the best restaurants in Tasmania. I love that when people do get Tasmanian products in, they're so proud of naming which producer they're getting their lamb from, their potatoes from, you know, even the sea salt. You know, we've got our own salt and it's great. And, you know, the different sorts of tomatoes. I was lucky enough to go around the market with Alain Passard, the, um, yeah, the Michelin star chef or three Michelin star chef. And it was such a beautiful experience because it was, you know, just at that beginning of April so... Weather was still absolutely fantastic, but also it's a very abundant time. And he grows all of his own produce for his restaurant. And so to be able to take somebody who really understands food and is very passionate about it around our market and, you know, being able to say to him, oh, look, hang on, stop, stop, smell. (laughs) They're the strawberries from... Sheffield Berry Gardens, and that moment you can smell on the breeze proper, real, fresh strawberries. And just, and a lot of it is, like you say, it's so simple. It's a punnet of strawberries. But the quality is so high that when the, you know, when things are in season, there is no excuse for establishments in Tasmania to not be putting Tasmanian products, you know, if it's in the fridge in their minibar. It should all be Tasmanian because we're not volume producers, we're quality producers. And you can't get all of these things everywhere else, even around Australia. You know, our wine is less than 1% of Australia's wine production. So you can't just go into any shop in Sydney or Brisbane or, you know, the bigger places on the mainland 
and just pick up a whole heap of Tasmanian stuff. They want it because they recognise and see the quality. But to come down here and see all of the other produce that may not be produced in the volume that can be exported is it's such a luxury to have that that much quality that, yeah, I think it's a real obligation. And again, we're experiencing tourism boom. That money should stay in Tasmania. You know, I'm very, very fortunate that I'm doing some work with Mona Foma again. And they're so lovely because they're very happy for me to say, yeah, I'll only really accept Tasmanian people um, for submissions for the food and drink. And I will be checking that the produce that they're bringing to put together the food comes from Tasmanian farmers and Tasmanian producers because because people should come to an event like that in a very special part of Tasmania. The food should be produced locally. And even if, like you say, farmers, they're busy, they're not necessarily going to get to come to the festival, but the fact that they'll get the economic benefit because we've got these amazing food producers who will be turning out. I mean, this year, the quality was incredible. And that's what should happen. And we are a small island state. We do need to support one another. How hard is it for some of these small producers to compete? For example, with strawberries, you see at supermarkets just mass-produced punnets of cheap strawberries at the moment that yeah. are obviously not in season for us. And you can you can taste the difference. It's a no-brainer. How hard is that to compete against that and to change the mindset of your typical family p- family shopper who, you know, they do have budgets. Absolutely, yes. It's hard to, to fit everything in and, and get everything you want to get. How can we how can we fix that problem, Curly? What's the, what's the um, solution? It's understanding the shift in power because I think a lot of the, you know, those big corporations, they like to make us think we've got no power. And actually we have huge power because if we stop buying or we demand that they have Tasmanian produce or they, and they're paying good fair prices for it, we actually have a huge power to be able to, even if it's just a bag of apples, bag of spuds, um, you know, some carrots, some cabbage or cauliflower or, you know, those, those weekly, like mints, you know, those weekly bits and pieces. If you can make even just the littlest change to be able to pick something up locally directly if you can make it to the market you know so it might be just that quick run through the market in between kids sports on a Saturday yes um but there's huge power in it and I think the testament to the people who set up Harvest and the guys who are currently running it now and the farmers that are there is you see that power and you do people. feel good don't you when you support yeah and and also just to see the growth of those businesses in themselves you know we've got hazelnuts that you know win gold medals for being the best in australia and we've got that there and it's a way to directly buy from local producers also contribute to the economy here but also to help share the story because that's our power as purchasers is that we can tell people we can tell our friends did you know that you can get, you know, a great big bag of spuds or you can get these sorts of hazelnuts or fresh olive oil or even if it's just, you know, like a box of the sea salt? So you see people like the hazelnut, the, the sea salt. Um, you know, there's a lot of examples of that agri-tourism development taking off where they value add to their niche product and actually make it above and beyond that with experience. Yeah. What advice would you give to other agricultural 
um, farmers who are, you know, they say, oh, we're just a farmer, but they've obviously got these amazing products to actually value add to that. Not everyone can have a cellar door, not everyone can have a, a tourism experience with their farm, but is that something that we, you think that we should be trying to no. expand more? No, because the joy is we've got amazing restaurants and establishments and what I would say is to people who own and run those is go and make some, you know, go make some friends with people who run farms so that you've got that lovely authenticity of your establishment, whether it is just a simple Airbnb or a little hotel, a little bed and breakfast, whatever it is, that you can say, this comes from the farm down the road. This is where your bacon's from. And you see that really well at the moment with Massimo out at the Silos Hotel. I love it. relishing in this opportunity to go out and meet different producers and put it on the menu and promote what is, you know, has been picked a day ago and is now on your plate. Yeah, and so the potato guys, they don't have tourism. That's not their thing, but they do supply people like Massimo and a lot of the restaurants because their spuds are amazing and different sorts of potatoes and they come in different colours. And again, children... Only you could make potatoes sound sexy, Kerry. It's because potatoes are amazing. <laughs> Brings out the Irish mammy in me. I love a potato. Um, yeah, and so it's, it's again that power of getting people like Massimo to lead the way and show that actually that's what we need to do is it's not always about the farmers suddenly creating an agritourism farm gate experience. It's also about the restaurateurs, the accommodation, you know, whether it's the little shop that's on the way to Derby for the mountain bikers, those sorts of things. We all have a responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing as well is it's us that benefits. It's not some big corporations, some faceless business. It's actually going into other Tasmanian businesses. And I think, yeah, that's the big thing is that power shift. We're not powerless as people. We're not powerless as tourism operators, as business people, as farmers. We actually have the power to create links and relationships because we're a small island and to offer something that you don't get everywhere. I mean, it's so lovely, isn't it? You can go and stay somewhere in our own state and it feels like a holiday for us. If you go somewhere and they say, oh, yeah, this is where this is from. We've got a little orchard, so the apples are ours, but we give them to the farmer down the road who makes pork and apple sausages for us. And so there's, you and know. I think people are hankering for that return to a bit of that old-fashioned culture where we're community. so busy. It's just nice to be, you know, to know mm. who you're being hosted by, to to know where the story, you know, where it mm. comes from. It's really that's really special. Now, I take my responsibility for drinking Tasmanian wine very seriously. You're a good woman, thank yes, you. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, the wine industry was probably the, you know, they were the leaders in that tourism business. It wasn't just producing wine, it was actually producing an experience. What? Where are we at at the moment? I, I still remember people <laughs> saying, oh, we're planting far too many vines. No, it's just never going to be sustainable, far too many vines. But uh, as you say, we're, this is, I think, my father okay. 20 years ago. <laughs> he now Sorry, consumes Dad. quite a no. bit. But, you know, there were people that were sceptical of, mm. of how the industry would go, but it's obviously just grown exponentially and is amazing quality. Where are we at at the moment? What's the growth forecast like? Oh, well, it's really exciting because the quality is the thing and sparkling is – we produce some of the best sparkling in the world. And I can say that because I've really tried. I've tried a lot of sparkling. You have, I yes. really have. Even Russian sparkling. Really? Yeah, don't the, run at it. I was going to say the Russians wouldn't. 
have the love and heart to They have the it. love. So um, the Cristal, Lurodorus Cristal, um, huge, hugely popular with the Tsars of Russia. Right. So they've got a history of, yes. you know, sort of lavish and exuberance and loving champagne as part of that. At the moment, it's not so good. No. It's not so good. However, in the future it might be, but it'll still never be as good as Tasmania. So England, Champagne, Tasmania, whichever order you would like to choose, they are the top three places in the world to get sparkling wine from. So a lot of that growth is in making sure that we've got the Chardonnay, the Pinot Noir, the Pinot Meunier for that. And also that we can age some of the stock a little bit more because the flavours are incredible as wine, as particularly sparkling wine develops. Um, there's a lot of lovely Shiraz going in because I think with people like Nick Leitzer, he's a dynamo. He looks after all my students. We go and see him as part of the course. Yes. And it's a great opportunity because he's shown a different side of Shiraz in Australia. You know, because what we produce is nothing like those real famous big mainland mm. Shiraz. But as his Jimmy Watson will tell you, doesn't stop it being bad. It's just different. And I think that's where a lot of the success has come from is that embracing of different and realising that we have incredible quality and it's ours. It's not like anywhere else. It's not, you know, our wines aren't like New Zealand. They're different to that. They're definitely not like the mainland. And so it's that real confidence as well in the quality of our produce that's been growing and growing and growing. So after all those years, yeah, people are oh, like, yeah, we can get some more vines in. Yeah, absolutely. Be- because they really are very confident. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter that it doesn't taste like Yarra or like Mornington or like Barossa or... doesn't have to. No, no, it's our own thing and we're rocking it. And they've, they've really led the way and, and now you see, I just love reading and hearing stories about all of these new whiskey producers, gin distillers. I just love it, you know and I am quite partial to a little uh, <laughs> little taste test, but it, it, it is a really exciting time to be a Tasmanian in that industry, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, because, again, it's that quality, and you can't get away from it. If you're talking about anything edible from Tasmania, quality is – it's got to be the, you know, the word of the day because that's what we are capable of doing. And it's, you know, it's, it's that pride as well. It's why I do the bragging because, you know, people can be very humble here incredibly humble. It's just like, oh, you know, I just farm spards or, you know, just grow some grapes, spent some time with Claudio Redenti. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just a grape farmer. Yeah, a very great grape farmer. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. And so that's the the luxury of what I do is that I get to kind of go, no, it's not just quite nice. It's brilliant. And I'm happy to tell people exactly why it's brilliant. And so that's that's been, it's just a joy, absolute joy to be able to get excited and brag and kind of go, no, he's being overly humble or she's being overly (laughs) humble or they actually do do something really incredible. And how many mini curlies are you creating through your education experience? Are we developing a whole new breed of... Curlyisms within the state. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a few a few phrases that we see, but yeah, it's it's been so lovely creating the alumni for my students as well, because a lot of them, you know, we do work with a lot of small businesses, so you don't always have people to bounce ideas off and taste things with, and. I kept hearing after the courses, people saying, I don't really want to stop doing this. It's been really nice coming and meeting other people in the industry, trying some different wines and really having that opportunity to talk and taste. And so that's sort of where the alumni was born from. And it's also good because, you know, it's somewhere that I can also share that there are jobs going, 
different opportunities, those sorts of things. And, you know, the chief shenanigator, this is where this comes in. We had a tasting last week in a bar in Hobart, Rudeboy, that is run by uh, a few of my my old alumni. Um, Not just any old alumni as well. See, I brag about people, not just produce. Um, Rowan is now the Australian ambassador for Angostura Rum and going to Trinidad um, because of his successes. And just, yeah, we've got some incredible talent in Tasmania. So we went there. And because they're, you know, they're part of the alumni as well, they were just like, yeah, come down, you can do tastings here. And so we all brought a bottle of random Tasmanian grape wine. So things that you don't normally see. So we had Pinot Blanc, we had Viognier, we had some Gewurz, we had Shiraz, we had Gamay, a whole bit of different bits and pieces. But we did it nice and early so people could bring their other half and kids. So, you know, got tucked into the new fried chicken menu. And But it was just really lovely to see people interacting and just very socially, but also learning at the same time that chance to talk with your peers, but also for the, we had a couple of folks there that are quite new to the industry to be able to say to a very enthusiastic young lad, um, see that woman over there, she heads up Somalia's Australia in Tasmania, go and talk to her. And so they're in touch now. And this young lad is on his journey now. Yep to go off and be brilliant because he's like, I want to be a top song. All right, go talk to her. She's the woman <laughs> for that. But that's somebody that he wouldn't have had easy access to before. And that's what I really want is that we need to look at our succession planning and make sure that we've got people who are mentoring the younger people and showing that these are real businesses. It's They're established it's an economically viable thing to do. It's not a sort of half, half-baked half uh, something that you kind of do. Because if you take food and drink, so all of the farmers, all of the people who work in the industry out of Tasmania, it's not a lot of fun. It's not the same in any way. And I think... Sounds some, miserable. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you have to think that way to really highlight the value. So I'm doing my best to educate my children about the benefits and merits of supporting local And they come businesses. to the market. They, they love the market. Yeah, exactly. And they see mummy drink Tasmanian wine, so I'm sure they'll follow through when they're old enough to. But how do we actually ensure that we can educate a bigger percentage of the population who may not have access to some of these amazing names that you've been um, talking about today and, you know, they may not perhaps have the financial capacity to, to experience some of the wonderful things we are able to. How do we ensure that that education and that accessibility is there for the general person and, you know, the general that, tourism operator. Firstly, feel free to come and see me. You know, yeah. the, it is a lot you of You stand out. People will know just oh, yeah. who you are, where you are. You can't miss me. I'm a good-sized girl. Um, <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? The best part of six foot. Looks like a racehorse. Um, <laughs> but it is, again, that responsibility but also understanding our power of those of us who are doing well, we have to be mentors. We have to take the time to actually get out there outside of our own normal circles and work with other people. So I think it's really important working with children and food because it upsets me and distresses me that we've got children in Tasmania who really don't know anything or understand food, who aren't eating well, they're not fully nourished 
It and, is said it shouldn't be. And happening. we're a farming community. That's you know that is what we are. We're a rural agricultural community in Tasmania, and it's not right. So the kids are a really important part of, you know, making sure that we do take time out to actually, whether it is going to visit kids in the schools. Um, I'm looking at possibly getting a program of again, looking at ways that we can get children to again be their own peer group mentors because you can use peer pressure for good not evil and if you've got I, I did a little stint at a school last year and we made ricotta and, and sweet, potato, sweet potato waffles lovely so it takes a while for the milk to heat up to make ricotta and at a previous session they said that they'd never seen a cookbook and I'm like no that won't do so I brought three of my cookbooks in because I knew they'd have time just to flick through and to have a look. How um, long does it take to make ricotta? I've not ever done that. Oh, look, give yourself an hour. Right, okay. Because um, <laughs> there's also the draining and, yeah. you know. Got and you were doing that with kids potatoes. at schools? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was so much fun. Um, sweet potatoes easy as well. You just cook it and mash it and then chuck some of the ricotta in as well yeah. and pop it in the waffle machine. Where you go. But that's the thing with education, you know, food, there's the science, there's the maths, there's all sorts of elements that come through food that you can educate mm-hmm. and you're actually learning more than just about how to cook. Yeah. And if you can cook, you can eat cheaply and source, source your products locally and you can eat cheaply if you know how to cook because you know how to use the cheap cuts, you know, you know about using peelings and things to maybe make a stock and then using that maybe with some dried beans to make a soup that's actually nutritious, it's good for your brains, helps you grow, keeps you healthy. Um, so the economic importance of it as well is enormous. But, yeah, we've got a disconnect, but we've also got an opportunity to get into schools. And, yeah, one of the books was my granny gave it to me. It's an old Reader's Digest, but it's one of those, this is how you debone a chicken. Mm. This is how you make white sauce. Yes. This is how you make scones. Yes. This is, you know, those real staples and life mm. basics. I and mean, that's how I get my children with their reading. I say, right, read the recipe to yeah. me. Let's, what do we need? And they cook and they love it. But yeah, it is about, you know, retraining people to mm. actually realise and not to yeah. be scared of things because it's not, once you actually know roughly what you're doing, it's it's easy to wing it, isn't yeah. it? And also the, for me as well, the economic importance of it is that succession planning we cannot expect kids at 16 17 18 when they're finishing school to then be excellent employees who understand the quality and the very high quality of the produce that they might be serving at a restaurant or at a bar or at a hotel or a function center or whatever if that's their first contact with it you know you're not going to get the kind of employee that you need to sell the quality of products that we have. So again, for that succession planning, like you might be fine at the moment, but think five years down the line, think 10 years down the line as your business grows as, you know, successful as you may be thinking about retiring, those sorts of things. We need skilled quality people to join the industries. And part of that is about, you know, getting in, getting that contact with younger people, you know, maybe giving colleges and stuff a prod and saying, come on, actually we need our, you know, your graduates to have different sorts of skills. Yes. Those sorts of things. And yeah. so, yeah, we again, it's that flip it around, realise where our power yeah. is and that we actually have the capacity to make a difference, to make a change and to really make sure that the economic benefits of the growth that we're seeing at the moment benefit us. 
you know, it's really quite important. Well, I think it's a perfect uh, note to finish on because I'm sure it's wine time somewhere, Curly. Always. Always. <laughs> it's always 12 o'clock somewhere. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Curly has some coats. She is um, an amazing advocate for everything that Tasmania, everything wonderful that Tasmania has to offer. So thank you for your time today and sharing some of your insights and your hopes and dreams for our agricultural tourism um, industry. So Thank I'm you. sure it's only positive signs ahead from what from what we've discussed. So has to be. It has to be. Has to be. Everything's better with a wine in the hand. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. I hope you have enjoyed um, our um, episode today of Talking Tourism. Thank you for coming on the show and and chatting about the paddock to plate phenomenon as well. I think it is something that's only going to get even more and more important as we um, as we move forward. So I hope that you've enjoyed listening. Um, if you have, please do tell your tourism colleagues or business colleagues to take a listen as well. And we will have another episode for you in a fortnight um, for Talking Tourism. So thank you very much. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.